The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Take 24. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard and I'm joined by my colleague Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Jennifer Fearing of Fearless Advocacy. I got it right this time. Yeah. Jennifer, thank you Hi. very much. Happy to be back with you guys. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, the big question that both Tim and I have been talking about is the plastics um, negotiation and getting it off the ballot and reaching a compromise on an issue a lot of people thought would not be compromisable, but you guys did. So what happened with that? How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. So, well, a little history, right? We've been, I, I, well, and I should just say, I'm pleased to work for groups like Oceana, Ocean Conservancy, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, you know, who... Mm -hmm been deeply concerned, along with 70% of Californians, um, about the impact that single-use plastic packaging in particular is having on our ocean, on our communities. Like, um, it's, you know, now plastic is showing up in the blood of newborn babies. Like, so this is a very ubiquitous, um, you know, environmental and environmental health problem, particularly plaguing the ocean's communities and you know, like mm -hmm. people. So it's been a huge topic of legislative interest over the last several years. We've been super involved and supportive of the efforts that particularly led by Senator Allen, but previously also Ms. Gonzalez, Assemblywoman Gonzalez, who carried the bill and have tried, you know, through a lot of stakeholder negotiations here at the Capitol over the last four years or so to land on kind of a comprehensive fix. You know, we take little bites at single-use plastics here and there, but we all know we need a comprehensive kind of approach that shifts, frankly, the responsibility for the decisions that packaging producers are making when their stuff becomes garbage five seconds after someone, you know, opens mm -hmm. their product. Like, what happened? They need they need skin in the game on, um, like, what happens to that package next so it doesn't just become a local government kind of waste management problem or litter that's everywhere um, in rivers, streams, sidewalks, streets, you name it. And so we'd really struggled for a bunch of years, we get close, got close with different versions. It was also called SB fifty four last session, and AB ten eighty was the was the was the Assemblywoman Gonzalez's bill that was the companion bill. And unfortunately, we just could never muscle enough votes over the objections of various industries who who you know what what deal we could make at that time wasn't good enough for them. And frankly, they weren't even really as strong as environmentalists wanted to see. So. A ballot measure, you know, was qualified. That's a story. But it, it, COVID had its way <laughs> with that ballot measure, and it got kicked from happening in November 2020 to being on the November 2022 ballot. Um, and all along, um, people like me and others, even within industry, like continue to believe this is something that the legislature should be handling. It's mm -hmm. complex. <laughs> it affects a ton of different kinds of stakeholders. What, what, was in there a tipping ways. point? Right. I mean. Well, the tipping point was it being on the ballot, and and then when it's on the ballot, it was written by a narrow set of stakeholders, right? And um, it was written by environmentalists in concert with some of the waste management industry folks. There was some local government involvement, but like we yeah. wrote, we wrote the ballot measure, you know, the policy we wanted, um, and um, that got industry's attention and kind of changed the power, you know, dynamics that otherwise existed. That's kind of how I perceive is like the history behind or the, the policy rationale for having a citizen's initiative is when you have popular public reforms that are being thwarted by kind of special interest power, then there is a path to go around the legislature and go directly to voters. And that's what we did. And that qualifying and that's the days we're getting closer to June 30th of this year, which was the date by which proponents can pull 
a ballot measure, um, it changed industry's willingness and interest to like compromise and actually hammer something out um, that is good for the environment and provides them with more certainty um, about how this will go and a and role it, and a role to play. Like in the version of the bill that you know the ver- what we're going to do with SB fifty four is producers will actually have a lot of responsibility within an organization they will need to form to d- directly identify the needs that um, um, are needs that we will have to manage packaging waste of all types. Um, they will have to reduce single-use plastic packaging by 25% off the top as an industry. Like going forward, are those materials that can't be recycled at a certain rate are going to have to go away? So, you know, the ability to negotiate that uh, across all these interests was profoundly affected by the hammer mm-hmm. <laughs> of the ballot measure sort of sitting out there. That have you ever seen any numbers on whether the ballot measure, uh, what the support to the ballot measure, what yeah. they typically go so to people... People support, you know, recycling and want to minimize plastics. But as you approach an election, when the other side starts pouring in money, it gets tougher and tougher and tougher. Yeah, I mean, my organizations were involved. We were the coalition that was at the forefront leading the charge on the ballot measure and were privy to all kinds of stress test polling um, Uh where we threw kind of what our anticipated or we were observing already what the negative messaging was going to be on the on the ballot. that messaging wasn't going to be about plastics at all. It was going to be about what the largest tax in you know sure. California history yeah. during rising inflation and gas prices, um, you know, and probably throw in some digs yeah. at Recology, which had funded the initiative, right. um, you know, six signature drive. Um, it wasn't going to be that you know their goal would right. be to not have a conversation with voters about plastics at all. And yes, they were going to have the resources to have many, many more. It's kind of like the classic ballot initiative, you know, vote for sports betting and save the homeless. And that's the message this year on Prop 27. It's like there are these disparate, they appeal to your better nature, but in fact, it's industry spending a whole lot of dough. Well, I, let's be clear. Our messaging, the proponent's messaging, <laughs> was going to be about plastics. I yeah. The opponent's message right. was going to be, they weren't going to win on a message about plastics. Like, there's too much resilient support by the public to deal with it. People, I even think, especially during COVID and now, we are more plagued with, with like, in our homes with unnecessary plastic that we don't know what to do with. We're more familiar and aware of what a problem this is than we ever have been. And that, that is why. So we were, the proponents were not going to be trying to have a different conversation. The opponents were going to. So what's funny is is I remember thinking like, uh, you know, they passed the, they passed the plastic bag ban and everyone started using recycling, recycled bags, you know, regular reused bags. This was great. And then I remember immediately, as soon as COVID hit, we had to go back to plastic bags. And I was like, one step forward, two steps back. You know, so this is actually now stepping over and, and forward. This again. is so what was able to be achieved and I and I've you know, we've gotten down the kind of like ballot ballot rabbit hole about, you know, where opponent like where messaging would have been, but I just want to be clear, like that stage got set then for like there to being a lot of interest on all parties to reach a legislative compromise proponents were certainly feeling of the ballot measure were sure feeling good about the policy of the initiative and uh, where the public was but we had to reckon with being very much outspent and being hit with all these negative messages we were going to have to recommend that gave us a motivation Mm -hmm. um, to sit at the table and try to hammer something out Um, and then the industry while they knew they had all kinds of money and maybe some over overarching arguments that they could prevail a 
they don't have any certainty. Like they can't know that they have exactly enough money and exactly the right messaging to win. And what I, I have contended, and I think it's true, that they could have won in November. And the day after that, 70% of Californians are still fed up with single-use plastics. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah. We would have been right back here. We would have still been trying to deal with this. It's not going away. And so that all kind of came together to bring the proper motivation for something that I, in 15 years of being here, have never seen, which was hundreds of hours of sitting with about 25 different stakeholders starting in January, maybe even December of last year. It started off as every Friday afternoon, you know, book, booked, you know, four hours of talking and negotiation that turned into multiple sessions per week. And as things kind of started to get even closer, you know, uh, to, wow, we might actually be able to land the last few outstanding issues here. I mean, I, it was every waking moment of, you know, there was a lot in May and June as a draft, you know, in early May, Senator Allen's office put a draft out, which, so the stakeholder group grew, right, to encompass anyone, even outside that room, um, reacting and trying to fine tune the language to what ultimately, you know, is an 86 page bill. It absolutely is like complex, but what the legislature, you know, passed and the governor signed the last week of June is the strongest single-use plastic packaging law in the country, if not the world, um, from an environmental standpoint. And because we know, like we've seen it with fuel economy and other things, you know, Procter & Gamble is not going to create packaging for California. They're going to create new packaging. So we expect not only to have this impact you know, and reduce the amount of, of problematic packaging and improve kind of waste management in California, but have like a knock on effect, you know, for the rest of the country, whether they adopt <laughs> those yeah. the same rules or not. So um, what's interesting about it is just how I think good all the different stakeholders feel. Business doesn't think this is going to be easy, but we now have a framework like there now is a kind of like a, like now we're working on what? Now we're working on the implementing the solution rather than trying to figure out what it is. Do, do, do other states follow our lead on stuff like this? They do on air quality management, at least the Northeast does, but on something like this? Well, yeah, I mean, in fact, of the matter is for the, the style, the way that this issue has been approached, it's called um, extended producer responsibility, which is this kind of like you basically stand up this producer led organization and put all these guardrails and advisory boards and sort of government checks or whatever on it and then make them self-regulate around this. Mm -hmm. um, that for packaging has been adopted. We're like the third or fourth state, I think, to do that. But we're the first state to have this mandatory reduction in single-use plastics packaging. We require that. We're the first state. We have a $500 million a year for 10-year plastics pollution mitigation fund that's demanding that producers are going to have to pay $5 billion wow. between 2027 and 2037 to fund programs and projects that clean up um, plastic pollution um, and clean up the natural environment and communities. Um, so we're the first to have that. Um, sure. I mean, I fully expect this to be and um, adopt, you know, versions of this to get taken up in other states. There are lots of efforts. New York has um, has been trying and failing. Yeah. I and mean, a lot of the same political dynamics that we struggled with, like, exist. You know, those is, is there a self Is there a self-policing piece to this or self-management? We were talking about this earlier, about how the industry itself... That's what I mean. This extended producer responsibility um, 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 kind of framework, um, the bill itself says that producers of packaging will have to form what's called a producer responsibility organization. And they, they're, you know, going to have to figure out how to fee each other, like reach group goal, industry-wide kind of rates, what's called rates and dates. So within the bill, 
by certain dates, all packaging materials will have to be first, uh, you know, first, I can't remember what the first date is, but by 2032, if your material type isn't being recycled, not recyclable, but being recycled in California at at least a 65% rate, it cannot be, it's banned. It's effectively banned. So they Um, really have a... So they're not they voting. Now they have to figure yeah, out how, as an industry, like they're going to narrow, you know, the set of material and what investments are going to need to get made. Because that's the other piece of it. The bill requires the development of a needs assessment, which is in order to in order to get to that world, the world in 2032, where 65% of packaging materials are being recycled. What infrastructure is needed in, you know, in every community, what education and outreach is going to have to be done, what material types need to change. Like this whole needs assessment will have to get developed by this PRO that will then have to run through an advisory board that's got lots of folks like me who get to like peer in on it and, and say that's good enough or not good enough. Cal Recycle will get ultimate authority to veto or make them change it. They will uh, then okay. have to make all those investments. So in addition to that $5 billion, they will have to give local governments like waste haul whatever is necessary in order to do it because they now own like responsibility for their packaging all the way through to the end of its life rather than now, which is they sell it, they're out, right? The rest of us are all the ones that, you know, and, and as curbside of, rate payers or garbage collectors, are, we're the ones stuck paying for it now. If they, if they perform or don't perform. Cal Recycle, at the end of the day, has authority yep. to say you have to do the job. Well, not only that, Cal, every step of the way, Cal Recycle has authority, but one of the most meaningful pieces of SB 54 is that Cal Recycle also has the authority to rescind the PRO's ability to operate at all. Oh, wow. So if they really epically fail, uh-huh. like, 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 they, the state can take back responsibility, you know, for this and become the one, you know, command and control from a, but it starts with giving industry, right? This opportunity again, with all these different guardrails and all these different like, and that's why it's such a big bill because there's a lot in there that like stipulates exactly how this has to go and exactly where other stakeholders have, yeah. have power as well. But it's, but the, but the, the nut of it is the industry having to stand up an organization that figures out how to how to address these needs and and reach these reach these new mandates. So, now, can you talk about the differences between what was in the original uh, ballot initiative and the bill? Like, you must have given up something. So, can you talk about the what what is there and what isn't there? Um. So the framework is different. So in the ballot measure, Cal Recycle would be doing everything we just talked about. Like, there wouldn't have been this producer like a lead kind of effort. So there is um, within the bill, I, I don't know if you'd give it up. It's a trade, right? It's a different framework um, where we believe that there are enough guardrails um, and enough um, uh, opportunities for the public and and the agency and the state to continue to monitor and enforce that that it's di- it's different. But um, we're still hopeful that the objectives are the same. Uh, you know, the outcomes will be the same. It's just being accomplished in a different way. So that that's, but that's a difference. Um, uh, we did not give up on the 25% uh, single-use uh, packaging, you know, plastic packaging source reduction requirement. That was a hard and fast bottom line for the environmental organizations at the head of the ballot measure, which is like, that had to be in the bill or we would walk. Um, so that's there. Um, polystyrene foodware under the ballot measure was just, it, it's the ballot measure said that CalRecycle would implement a reg to ban it. 
Um, uh, which would have meant by the time it passed and they ran a reg to ban it, maybe it would have food polystyrene foodware would have been banned at the state level by maybe early 2024. Um, um, uh, because as you, you probably know this, but there's like more than a hundred juris- cities and counties in California that have already banned polystyrene foodware or severely restricted it. So, um, a statewide ban, you know, it's kind of led like harmonize and that was a very it was very important to environmentalists what was given in 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 54 was uh there was a strong desire on the part of various industries that wanted to support the bill that there not be any um any particular material type that got singled out um and so that became a very tough Hmm. this became a very big bargaining issue and you know i'll let the chamber explain it but if you think about it like if you're running a big association of any kind and i have some nonprofit associations if, a, if there's even even if we could all agree that polystyrene super problematic and it's got to go away etc you you still have a hard time as an association supporting legislation that takes out one of your members you know right. products mm. um so what was what was agreed to actually is what rap people roundly believe um agree is a de facto ban which is that polystyrene needs to be being recycled at at least a 25% rate by 2025 or else it's, ba- it was- it's banned. So it's, so it is, it's banned unless it meets that recycling rate and it's recycled at less I, than 1%. Like it's not say, recycled. I didn't, I didn't um, realize it was even able to be recycled. No, not really. There not must tech- be a lot more types of plastics and variations of plastics than I had ever imagined. I think a plastic is plastic, but there's. Oh, there's, well, this, John, this is exactly one of the reasons plastics is, is such a problem for, for waste collection and, frankly, for recycling. And, and and the absence of producer responsibility is kind of to blame, which is there's, as of right now, there's nothing stopping a producer of a new widget or whatever from just choosing any formulation, you know, any kind of plastic they can add a molecule or do this or whatever that meets some kind of wrapping need they want or whatever. They don't need to care about whether that ultimately is now a contaminant in the waste stream or now, oh, great, a new variation of a plastic. Like, what do we do with this? Like, says the, like, people at the other end, you know, who are catching it. Um, we are, we have, what that's meant is there's been this just explosion in all these different, like, plastic types. And, well, there's never a world where we're going to recycle all of that. We're not, we're not recycling even PET. Some of the, like, most recyclable plastics are, we're failing at, at, PET, at getting a really is, good rate. What is made out of PET, for example? Well, uh, well, plastic water bottles, okay. you know, um, or Coke bottles or, you know, plastic Coke bottles or whatever. Those those are like have the best, quote, end markets for re- being recycled. And even those are like they want to blow your socks off right now. And so but as you as right now, there's just this proliferation of plastic types. And one of the hopes or the aspirations of this model, and again, having these mandated recycling rates by certain mm-hmm. dates is it's gonna it's going to cause deselection you know they're gonna be like no nope, you know we're winnowing the amount of packaging types to only those that continue to have value at the other end and it's all aspirational towards something called a circular economy you'll hear about I have this book sitting right there just we don't have a we have a finite amount of kind of like raw materials like we, we definitely want to stop using fossil fuels as a raw material how do we get stuff from point a to point b in packaging that still, where that packaging still has value when it's 
the item has yeah. been delivered, right? Like there's actually value. Like the market oh. wants it back um, because it, it, also... it can turn it back into another package or reuse and refill. Like one of the cool things, this one of the ways the bill is stronger or than the ballot measure is we were actually able to negotiate um, mandatory minimum um, refill and reuse targets. They're low. They're like 4%. But how do we start to shift back, right? Have durable reductions yeah. because they aren't just like one-time reductions in use, but like, no, over the long haul, we like, how do you switch to like back to material packaging types that can be reused and refilled and over again? Because well, we I feel like we're, doing this. we're sort of reinventing the wheel because when I was I'm 56, when I was a kid, yep. n- I didn't go to the grocery store. Nothing, no vegetable came in plastic. But if I go to Trader Joe's right now, it's hard to buy a vegetable that's not packed in plastic with some sort of little tray under it. And there's no reason for that. Well, I mean, and my, people older than us also obviously had their milk delivered with glass bottles, yeah. and those glass bottles had value. You put them back out, they got washed, you know, yeah. they got washed and reused. They didn't get, like, recycled, they sure, just no, got reused. When I was um, a kid, even Coke bottles, you'd get a Coke bottle, and yeah. it would be kind of scuffed around the edge because they would recycle them, and they would reuse the same bottle. And so, you know, and I did, one of the things I always look at is is yogurt, which I ate a lot of yogurt. So like what I like to have for breakfast, but I feel terrible with these plastic yogurt containers. So I must have fifty of them around the house because I don't want to throw more. You're attempting to reuse and refill them, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think why you know why can't that be in some sort of a cardboard? Well, like, and I've heard you know plastic? if you start so. looking for this, you'll see it. Starbucks is talking about going to entirely reusable cups. So like you'll just get you'll come in, you'll get a plastic cup. They'll do their drink. And then when you come back, you'll drop it back off in a bin. And they're not going to need to recycle them until they're really super old. They're going to just right. sanitize them and put them back in, in motion. Like, just right. keep using them. There's no reason. It's not hard. Like, yeah, that's not, the crazy thing. A lot new. of this doesn't this require huge technical innovation in, like, NASA to sit around and think about what the solutions are. I mean, some of the stuff that I, you know, again, having thought a lot about this lately, especially with the, like, change to so much purchasing going online. You know, if you walk through a Target... And you're like, let's just go down the toy aisle for an example. Barbie has to sell herself to you, right? Because you're 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 shopping there. There's so a metaphor Barbie, here I really like. Go ahead. Right. So Barbie is in a plastic coated, you know, a shiny plastic coated box with a plastic glassine, you know, window. She herself is in a plastic thermoform to stand her up. She's clipped with plastic, you know, so she'll stand there. There's plastic holding back her hair, and she is made of plastic. Um, <laughs> and anyway. That's because all of that plastic is doing this job of marketing herself, right, to the consumer in that in that environment. When you have bought Barbie online, yeah, she already sold herself to you. You do not need all of this. Barbie could come in a pink box, <laughs> you know, a pink box with pink tissue paper or whatever. Literally, like, other than her, like, no plastic packaging is necessary at all because there's not even a marketing argument. Like, because she's already, dude, you already bought her. She, there she yeah. is. She's at your house. So, you know, I, our hope is that the way this bill shifts the responsibility to, to producers, they now have an incentive. There will, they will be, you choose to keep doing Barbie that way, it's going to cost you. <laughs> yeah. You will now be motivated to think about moving Barbie packaging in a, into a different way to avoid those costs because we just the cost of plastic is so cheap right now and the fact that they're avoiding any of the costs associated with handling plastic off the back end keeps it artificially you know mm-hmm. cheap and it makes them make different decisions than they would make if they're responsible for it. You mentioned a sixty-five percent target recycling target over mandate time. mandate over time. What now? What do you estimate now is the recycle percentage? 
Well, it depends on the material, but yeah. overall, I mean, it's not news, breaking news, is how the cal- like recycling system is completely broken um, for most for most of all material types, and that the end markets for materials, recycled materials, as part of this, it's super low because getting new materials is so cheap. Um, and so, um, and of course, because like three years ago, China was like enough, you know, we're not taking your crap anymore. So we're not pretending to recycle in California anymore that we used to ship stuff to China and call it recycled, whether they recycled it, turned it into anything or not. We considered it recycled once it left here that they stopped taking Mm. our stuff, which has forced us to reckon with it. And our landfills are filling up faster than we possibly can, you know, absent 54 passing and really changing this, the League of Cities had polled, like surveyed all the cities and 80% of them were, were, were on, are on the precipice of jacking up our waste, you know, our curbside costs, but to, by more than 20% in just the next two years, because wow. we're just, it's just mounting. It's not, have, it doesn't have anywhere to go and nothing's actually recycled and it's also on plastics. It's like it's less really than 5% right confusing. now. I mean, I know that, uh, I, for years have been throwing my, uh, plastic bags, you know, that you used to get from the grocery store into the recycling. Oh, Those are not recyclable. No, and in fact, they would pollute it. And it's like, so it's really was confusing that what is recycling, what's not, what should be But that's there. been one of the, that's what industry had, has done to exactly. us. They made it all us like some personal responsibility issue. I'm supposed to pay attention to ones, twos, fives, sevens, films, non-films. Like, what is all this? That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, what... And those films in particular are pernicious. They 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 gum up the sorting machines. I mean, they're super problematic. We films really have to get like they, they, within the within the future system that fifty four builds. People continuing to use films are going to pay a lot, <laughs> and so they're going to be disincentivized quite heavily. Um, but the dream, I mean, again, the aspiration is if you're at if you're up at, out at 2032, like in under the 54 model and 65, you know, if, if it's a material type that is not being recycled at a 65% rate, it will be gone. We're trying to move towards a world where we don't have multiple bins, where all the packaging, you may have food, food waste, you know, will go in your, you know, or in your things that are compostable will go in one bin and things that are recyclable will go in the other. That's it. There's not trash because we have, we're just using material types that mm-hmm. have it, that are sortable, you know, that are manageable within the waste stream and then that have value at the other end. And then maybe what we'll have more like we have trunks apparently are for reusable bags now. That's what car trunks are for. Oh. Um, but, you know, maybe we will start go back to world where we're carrying. I go to the refill store. So I maintain a little slew of bottles, right, that I go in and have my laundry detergent this and my refill madness. Um, yes, refill madness. Next to the co-op. Um, <laughs> the funniest name for a business that I don't think I've ever heard. <laughs> well, I mean, we need to normal renormalize, to yeah. your point, um, uh, uh, that we need to renormalize reusing things, like taking things back. And like we're gonna I, I would personally would rather manage this keeping track of this bottle than managing recycling all the single use plastic, you know, the single use plastic bottles or or you know or any other way of doing it. We just have to renormalize. Um, where, where does styrofoam fit into all this? That's what polystyrene is. Oh, okay. So that's the one that polystyrene, if it's not, it, it will be banned in 2025 unless it's being recycled at a rate that it can never meet. So poly, that polystyrene foodware <laughs> is like is going to go away statewide. Pardon my ignorance, but how do you recycle? I always thought that that was not recyclable. It's not. What do you do? Yeah. No, I don't not. know how you would like just looking at it as a substance. I don't know how you would recycle it. Well, except for maybe to reuse it as like packing material or something like that. 
That's where I hate it. It gets all over me. It breaks up into little granules and, and it all sticks over in the my face. And, and my then arm. it's all over the yeah. environment right. and it's so light it falls off of trucks. Right. Like it's the, it's, it's everyone. It, it's a very problematic material. <laughs> and that's why it's on the short list to go away the soonest. <laughs> um, and it will motivate uh, like, uh, like in the packing side of things, like versus the food, you know, the takeout food. That's the stuff that's definitely going away um, in 2025 if it doesn't meet this rate. But, you know, there, these other recycling rates that are coming for all materials are going to motivate, like since even packing foam, you know, those like molded oh, forms, yeah. like even those will never meet those recycling rates. It's going to motivate, an, an, you know, innovation for what are other ways to either mold paper or there's people out there with mushroom based, like it's going to motivate the development of new things for shock and absorption like for, mm-hmm. you know, technology. Or, you know, there's going to be a need to move those kinds of goods in a safe way without using styrofoam. And like, though we're going to see companies that are sort of small now um, developing those, probably the demand for their products going to go way up and are going to, they're going to grow. And this is kind of far afield from this discussion, but maybe you would know. So I've read that there is a bacteria that they have, developed that is actually helping break down plastic in a way that was never possible mm-hmm. before is that going to help us with our recycling rates or does that just i mean does that not count as recycling that is like so brand new that like i just read about it like last week so i okay. couldn't opine um and wouldn't even be the right person to opine about whether that is a real solution i mean you do remember a few years ago there was like the garbage eating machine in the ocean that some you know, folks thought was going to be it did not it did not turn out, spoiler, did not turn out to be the thing that solved the problem. Like a great now, idea. now that you say that, I think I just saw a thing that it, it had been in, in operation for like a year and it had cleaned one one thousandth yeah. of the you ocean know, match, which, hey, a I've heard thousandth. About the ba- I've heard about the bacteria, but I, I, I would just like to go on record. <laughs> it, we all, we keep wanting to find ways to like keep doing the things we're doing, you know, Everyone doing the things the we're doing point. and not, and, and like, yeah, take a pill and hope that it works. And the reality is when it comes to material, ta- the, you know, these packaging, like we need to use a lot less of it. Yeah. Um, and people, pe- I think people are very burdened, you know, by managing all of it. And even if, even if, even if you told me that worked, but I still had to keep managing all this crap right. to get it to a place where that could happen. No, thanks. Um, and we don't have enough virgin material, you know, like we can't keep just extracting and extracting to make more stuff. Um, so I hope that this bill like help, you know, this new law, like it's meant to shift, like it's, it's paradigmatic, you know, it's kind of like shifting our framework towards like, we can find a way to get item, you know, I don't buy shampoo bottles. I buy shampoo. Like, what right. I what I need a shampoo. Is there a vessel? Is there a way for me to get the thing I need that does not cause, you know, that's not extractive in, in creation of the package? Yeah. <laughs> and then problematic um, and costly to deal with on the backside. And I hope that what we're on the verge of with the kind of all this conversation, you know, that we had that led to this bill and I'm sure there'll be future legislation to like modify this or strengthen this or change that. But like what folks were able to pull off here together is, a, is, is, is truly like a transforming. It's the aspiration is to change our relationship, you know, to packaging and products and, and how stuff, how stuff um, kind of gets to us. And, and there is a true embedded in what my clients and like what the environmental aspirations here are is less, <laughs> less from the, Less from the start, um, less to manage in the first place. Um, so yeah. I don't know. We 
we walked out hard on the policy side of this. We didn't even discuss the politics, so. <laughs> but um, I don't know how long people are going to want to listen. Well, on that hopeful note, that's a very hopeful note for us. Um, Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, Jennifer Fearing, thank you very much. Yeah, no, I do just want to. I do just want to close by saying, like, this wouldn't have happened. Like, you know, the aspiration. You know, this wouldn't have happened if there weren't so many different disparate you know it was local governments it was waste com- you know waste hauling companies it was the cmt you know the manufacturers the chamber the even the plastics you know folks kind of all and the you know consumer brands like all putting hun- devoting hundreds of hours and getting to a place where they you know sounds kind of like the good old out. days you know it really well and i encourage you and others to like watch some of the floor discussions or the assembly natural resources you know hearing you 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 don't hear stuff like what those members were saying and even they kept saying i've never this is what we should be doing like 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 we should be this is how we solve the problems you know it shouldn't just be who has the most muscle to prevail you know on any given day and we should like sit down and try to figure these problems out together and that this is a model I mean, I don't know who has the energy to do this on such a regular basis, but for the big thorny problems facing us, there's this is how you have to do it. And I hope we all remain motivated. You know, I hope business interests like saw this experience as valuable enough to participate in again because they will often have more power <laughs> than environmental interests. So their willingness to like sit down is, is usually what's most needed. Um but environmentalists too, like all the different stakeholders, I hope the experience of this was rewarding enough. You know, and that the, the and that the durability of what maybe we produced here demonstrates that this is something we should all do more of, right. because it was it was more meaningful to me than any of the other times I've just won. <laughs> um, right. um, so I hope I hope that I hope that I hope that others share that view. Thank you so much, Jennifer Fearing, uh, and you wisely have decided not to participate in our who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Um, so I, I guess by dint of uh, elimination, we sort of settled on Mark Andreessen, a well-known name in Silicon Valley, uh, who got caught with his pants down uh, figuratively. Uh, he has been quoted as saying how much he loves, you know, he wants more housing. Let's build it all. Let's get people and let's get the housing crisis resolved. And then in a uh, communication to local planners, he said basically exactly the opposite, and he didn't want any uh, multifamily units messing up his Atherton neighborhood. Did not look too good. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I knew the name, but I didn't, he was not a household name for me. But uh, reading his message to the planning commission, I think it was, uh, it's really, he is the, the NIMBY in a nutshell. He's like, hey, I want to build housing, just not in my neighborhood, not in my backyard. And, uh, you know, I'm sure with his billions of dollars, he won't really lose too much sleep at night. But, uh, but it is an embarrassing look for someone that has publicly uh, said that we need more housing and that we need to build housing and then privately, you know, doesn't want them building it anywhere near him. Yeah, and I suppose he's not the only wealthy person who may say one thing publicly and do something else uh, when no one's looking or he doesn't think anybody's looking. Uh, Atherton, it's hard to imagine. Um, low-income housing, moderate-income housing in a community like Atherton, which I think is the wealthiest zip code in the United States, or at least it used to be. It's very exclusive. And lots typically there are an acre, uh, sometimes much more, sometimes a little less. 
beautiful homes, not the kind of place really where you think there'd be a whole lot of um, whole lot of demand for multifamily housing and normal folk housing. And I think Andreas wants to keep it that way. Yeah. And uh, I invite our listeners, if they're interested in this story, it's a, it's a pretty good story in the Atlantic magazine. Uh, you can find it online. It's by Jerusalem Dempsus. It's called The Billionaire's Dilemma. Um, I'm imagining that billionaires have a lot of dilemmas. One would think. Um, but uh, anyway, it's worth a read. It's an, an interesting story just popped up today as we, as we go to tape here, popped up today. Fair enough. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, John. That was our short week in uh, Who Had the Worst Week in, Calif- in California Politics. And uh, this is John Howard. We will see you sometime soon. Take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.